Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November 27th, the Live from Miami edition. It's a crowd of dozens. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor and writer at Slate. I'm the author of How to Be a Family, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who is 14, and Harper, who is 12. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I am a cultural critic, uh, a contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mother to Naima, who is six, and we reside in Los Angeles, California. We are at the Miami Book Fair uh, on a gorgeous, sunny Saturday in South Florida. Uh, This is the kind of day that is an advertisement for the Florida lifestyle, as long as you can ignore climate change and the constant threat of Florida man. Um, We are really pleased to be joined today by two special guests, the author of many New York Times bestselling books and the author of the New York Times bestseller list. (laughs) First, welcome the writer of Go the Fuck to Sleep and the brand new Fuck Now There Are Two of You, Adam Mansbach. Adam, tell us about your kids. Hey. Jesus Christ. I have so many kids now. Um, I have an 11-year-old named Vivian, who also goes by the name professionally The Jazz Wolf. Um... (laughs) I have an almost three-year-old named Xanthi and a one-year-old named Asa, uh, all of whom are 3,000 miles away right now, so make some noise for that, please. Congratulations to you, Adam. Thank you. Uh, and we have the head honcho of the New York Times Book Review and the author of How to Raise a Reader, Pamela Paul. Pamela, tell us about your kids. Um, I have a 10-year-old, a 12, almost 13-year-old, and a 14-year-old. Um, Likewise, have abandoned them temporarily in yeah, New York. That's the joy of the Miami Book Fair for all parents. Give it up for Pamela Paul, please. <laughs> so, uh, today on the show, we're going to talk to these experts about dealing with reluctant readers, about dealing with overenthusiastic readers, about how parents of multiple kids can bring families together, and the general overwhelming desperation of being a parent, sort of the ur subject of this podcast over the years. But we also thought, why have them up here on stage with us and not give them the full mom and dad are fighting experience? So we're also asking Pamela and Adam to give us their parenting triumphs and fails, as Jamila and I do every week, uh, and recommendations as well. So let's start, as we always do, with triumphs and fails, a parenting triumph or fail from your recent past. Let's start with you, Jamila. Okay. Well, um, just to darken things a little bit, (laughs) I (laughs) I have a fail. My fail is I am the only person up here who has not yet published a book. Oh, that's not a fail. It is a fail. It's it's a fail for me. And but but I I want to say it publicly and I've said it publicly before. I actually talked about it on Roxanne Gay's podcast a few weeks ago. Um, but, But part of the reason that I think I should talk about it publicly, you know, maybe not all the time, but at least every so often is that I know that other folks that may be in this audience that are listening to this podcast who don't have a podcast or a platform or people that are looking at them like, yeah, you probably could have written a book by now. Why didn't you do that? Who are struggling as I am um, with checking off uh, this thing from not a bucket list. You know, it's not like a thing I need to have on my resume. It's the 
crown jewel um, of the career that I've been working to build for the past decade. And between the responsibilities of motherhood and co-parenting and anxiety and depression and sometimes just making poor decisions about time management or working um, and working a pretty good job that took all of my time and then freelancing, which means having a lot of time and then learning how to use that time well, it just hasn't happened yet. And I have a great agent. Um, We are close, uh, closer than ever before uh, to finishing this proposal that publishing houses have expressed an interest in, um, even more so since I joined this podcast. So thanks, Dan. Um, no problem. But, but it's a thing that I just haven't done yet, you know, and it, it feels bad. And being in this space, you know, funny story, we got an email um, about our participation uh, in, in, the, in the show, and they had billed me as the moderator. And I wondered, you know, I was like, well, why? And I was like, well, you know, I'm one of the co-hosts of this show and we were doing a live episode of the show. So why would you think that I would be doing something different than what Dan is doing? And I thought, well, they might have just been like, okay, well, who are the authors here? And I didn't have a book, you know, and it might have just made, I do a lot. I do moderate. I mean, I wouldn't have come and done it for free, but <laughs> but I do moderate panels and talks and, and have done a lot of Q&As and events supporting authors and I've gotten paid to do it. Um, and have done it as a favor to friends at times when it wasn't too crushing for my soul. And sometimes I have to say, I can't do this because this is really going to crush my soul right now. But good for you. I hope you make it to her list. But I've made my peace with the fact that I haven't gotten there yet and I'm getting closer to it. Uh, And I'm owning it as a fail because it's okay to fail. And as a mother, as a woman, um, as somebody who is grooming a future woman, you know, a future adult, I want her to understand that it's okay to fail. It's okay to be disappointed in yourself. You know, it's just, it's not the end. Um, Even if it's the end of a particular chapter in your life or a particular dream, um, but that we all fail. And so that's my fail. Uh, That's so interesting. I, like all fails that I present on this show, I just view that as the opportunity for a future triumph when you do eventually sell that book that you want to sell or you don't but are fine with it, which is also totally possible. Um, but that was a very honest fail. Very interesting. Thank you. Yeah. I will, um, just being on brand, say I am the youngest up here. So <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you for that, Jamie. I'm assuming that it, it's yeah. just only because you all have so many books. So like, they can't be my age. So if you're 28, <laughs> just don't tell me. <laughs> but your kids might see your personal One failure kid. as a parenting triumph because it means you have more time to be with them because you're not, you know, sequestered in your home office typing away frantically when they want you. Yeah, it's true. Also, I have I w- joint custody. Don't give me excuses. I don't need it. <laughs> I've got time. Also, there, there's nothing less impressive to a kid than telling them that you're a writer and that you've written books. Try it sometime. <laughs> Any kid in the world would be like, oh yeah, I've written books too. I wrote a book today. <laughs> what? It's not an impressive job title at all for a kid. Trust me, my kids are far from impressed. So, you know, when when my daughter was in preschool, for some reason, they chose me to come speak at career day because the adults who worked there thought it was interesting that I was an editor at Ebony magazine. And I attempted to explain what I did to three year old children for about two to five minutes of agony. And then I just said, you know what? I'm a writer. You all like to read? Okay, I'm going to read you a book. And the first book I picked up turned out to be about the L.A. riots. (laughs) And they didn't ask me to come back to book <laughs> next year. <laughs> uh, all right. I have a triumph today. Um, it is a, an editing triumph 
Um, but really, it's a not editing triumph. So my daughter, Lyra, uh, who's 14, is in fact a budding writer. She really likes to write. And um, she got involved in this program at Signature Theater, which is a regional theater uh, outside Washington, D.C., a very good regional theater that has won a Tony Award in 2009 and puts on a lot of Sondheim. It's a great space. And they have a program called Signature in the Schools, in which they take five high school kids and give them the chance to write 10-minute plays under the tutelage of a professional playwright and then have them put on in stage readings with professional actors from the company reading the parts. And she applied for it on her own volition and she got in and was very excited about it and has gone through the whole process like four meetings over the course of a couple months with this professional playwright who, God bless her, is helping five teenagers write 10 minute plays. Um, and she really agonized over that play and like all of the teenagers in this group, she missed her deadline uh, as real writers do. Um, she was getting notes from the professional playwright in charge reminding her, you gotta turn this in, it's due, rehearsal is tomorrow. And finally, the morning of the final rehearsal, she turned in the play and then she said, do you wanna read it? And I said, yeah, 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 I wanna read it. And my triumph is that I, I did not give her any notes. <laughs> I gave her zero notes on that script. Um, I read it and I had so many things I wanted to say and so many suggestions and instead I just shut the hell up and told her I could not wait to see it on stage and it would be great. Uh, I was very proud of myself because Jesus Christ did I want to give her a lot of notes. Um, it, it is a 10 minute show about the crushing weight of parental expectations. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I had some things to say, but it was great. I loved it. Uh, they got a bunch of great actors to do it. So great job, Lyra. Great job, me, not being an editor for once. Pamela, do you have a triumph or a fail for us today? Um, I'm going to multitask and uh, give a fail that was also maybe lightly a triumph in the end. And stay on brand. It's a parenting uh triumph fail that also has to do with reading um, and so this failure slash slight triumph dates back to a podcast that I host the book review podcast I had on two guests my colleague Gilbert Cruz who is the culture editor at the Times and Victor Laval who is a novelist and critic and I had them on to talk about Stephen King because Victor Laval at that point had just reviewed a Stephen King novel for the book review and Gilbert Cruz has read every single book that Stephen King has written um, which is probably another full-time job and um, in the course of the conversation I asked them you know what's the best Stephen King to start out with as a, as a teenager? Because that's when I think of people as kind of starting on Stephen King. When I was growing up, my brothers uh, kept copies of Stephen King in the bathroom. There was like Christine there and Pet Cemetery, and I would sort of, you know, dip in. That's, that was kind of the extent of my Stephen King knowledge. So they pondered this and thought, and they said, you know, I think it, it's gotta be it. It <laughs> is the best book to start on. So I thought, okay, I tucked that away. And about a year later, I was traveling with my three kids, my husband, in Germany. And um, we were gotten through about two weeks. We were in Munich. My son, older son, who was 11 at the time, had gotten through all of his books. And he wanted me to buy him something else. So I went into a bookstore in Munich and looked around at what they had in English. And they had a bunch of Stephen King. So I looked at it and I thought, ha, Victor and Gilbert have recommended this. And bonus, it's super long. So it'll last him for the rest of the trip. So I came out feeling very triumphant and um, handed it over to him and you know, announced to my husband, like, look at what I got him. And he gave me this kind of look. Like, what are you thinking? 
And we, we couldn't really talk because our kids were in front of us. We had no internet access while we were there. So he types out on his phone. And I read what he's written, and it says, what about the gangbang rape scene oh, no. at the end? <laughs> and I was like, what? I had not read it. Um, so I was like, do I take it back? You know, and already my older son is like flipping through it. He's getting into it. And I, I was like, well, if I take it back, then he's only going to want it more. There was really no way of extricating myself in the situation. So I thought, you know what? He'll just go there. And I guess we'll see what happens when he gets to that scene. So my son is a super fast reader and um, a skill that I myself do not have. But I have to say, he has never read a book more slowly than he read it. He just took pauses, you know, and, and would put the book down and like go back to one of the books he'd already finished. And it wasn't until a couple of months later that he finally got through it. Um, and he said to me a few things, sort of a couple of comments, like this is, this is kind of, parts of this are kind of disturbing um, and, and, and distressing. I still didn't really know what the rest of the book is about, but the movie, It Part One, had come out by this point, and um, my older daughter wanted to watch it, and so I watched it with her, and I realized like they actually took that scene out, but what they retained was a scene that reveals the fact that one of the characters was r- routinely um, molested by her father. So I'm thinking, oh my God, I don't know what I have subjected my child to. And at the end of it, he sort of calmly said to me, you know, Mom, I think this book was inappropriate. (laughs) And you know, the only way that I glean anything positive about this is that I do think that kids kind of take in what they're ready for and the rest they sort of screen out and he was taking it as, as he could little by little. Um, He asked me, you know, afterwards to some questions. He said, there were some phrases in this book that I didn't understand. And I said, well, like what? And he said, what does get high mean? And I thought, oh no, this book was so inappropriate. And so I told him, kind of matter of factly, and then I said, well, what else? And he said, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, I do believe that um, it's okay for kids to read a little bit advanced beyond their level and to be exposed to some of the difficult things in the world that what they're not ready for, they kind of leave out and put to the side. I remember as a child, you know, seeing certain movies um, and just not letting in what I didn't understand. I remember in particular the movie Death Trap, which was with Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve. It was like a a murder mystery. Does anybody remember this uh, movie? And uh, I watched it many times. I loved it. I did not know that they were gay. I never knew they were gay until I was an adult because I didn't know that there was anything as you know, same-sex relationships when I saw it at the tender age of nine or ten. So I do think that kids can um, absorb things on their level, and then they will go back and reread, although I don't exactly hope that he will go back <laughs> and reread it. Well, congratulations to Gilbert and Victor for that epic prank they played on you. Yeah, Gilbert has heard from me yeah. subsequently. He yeah. works on the same floor. Uh, Adam, what about you? Try and for fail. Yeah, uh, I might have a little bit of each. Listening to Pamela, it's, it's really interesting. I think there's no greater or worse feeling than when your kid comes to you and tells you that something that you've earmarked for them is actually inappropriate. Because you're like, wow, my kid is really smart and sensitive, and also I'm a terrible parent, yes. you know? <laughs> I'm also thinking about times when, when my oldest daughter was a little younger, 
I would be reading her a book that was something I loved as a kid, and I would realize in the midst of the story that there was something wildly inappropriate in it. And, and then you try to sort of not read that part, you self-censor the book, and then the book ceases to make any sense at all, and you're hoping that your kid doesn't call you out on the now enormous plot hole in the middle of the book. I remember I was reading this book to my daughter Vivian. It was an E.L. Konigsberg book, one of my favorite authors. One of her lesser known books is called something like About the Benai Brith Bagels. It's about a little league team in the 50s, all Jewish kids, and the coach quits, so one of the mothers takes over as coach, you know, which in the 50s was, oh my God, a woman is coaching a baseball team, and like, she doesn't know anything about baseball, and hilarity ensues. But a main subplot in the book is that during the championship game, the kids are like passing around a Playboy magazine like in the dugout or something. And this is a pivotal plot point. And the discovery that they're doing this sets all the rest of the events of the book in motion. And my daughter was like six, and I wasn't about to read this to her. So I just left it out. Again, you sort of hope that they will call you out on the lack of a coherent plot. And you also hope that they'll just like leave it alone and, and, and let you kind of get away with it. Did she leave it alone? I'll she left it alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was lucky that time. Six months later, she probably would not have. Sorry, that reminds me. My daughter, um, when she was four, the new edition uh, three-part biopic aired, and she was immediately in love with the group and obsessed with all things new edition from the kids who played them in the movie, or the six kids and six adults, to the actual six members of the group, which, uh, for the uninitiated, includes Bobby Brown. Mm. And so the thing that I tried to hide for her for two years was Whitney Houston. <laughs> Which, because it was so deeply sad, yeah. you know, that, that she'd passed away and their daughter, you know, and, and how she passed. And, and that she was this phenomenal talent who I certainly would want my daughter to love Whitney Houston's music because everyone loves Whitney Houston's music, right? But like... For her to really enjoy Bobby Brown New Edition, I didn't want her to know that part. Well, luckily, Whitney's not in the biopic. <laughs> she's not, but, you know, but she's still, six, that's uh, an enormous plot hole in Bobby it, Brown's It was life. a big yeah, plot yeah, hole. Yeah. I, I kept it away as long as I possibly could, but, um, you know, now I randomly get questions like, you know, um, what do you think Michael Jackson thought of uh, when his sister Janet was dating Bobby? This is like at Target at 8 o'clock at night. I was like, well, I, I'm not sure. And, you know, I, I would just guess he just hoped that it was somebody being nice to his sister and that he was a good guy. And she said, yeah. And then the sadness came. Mm. First Honey, Michael, like then Whitney. And I'm like, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have watched that movie. Honey, let's focus on Ronnie, Ricky, so, and Mike. For yeah. a while, they are maybe? still here and yeah, still going strong. Still, yeah. You probably still want me to give a parenting fail. Or, yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I keep score. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess my, you know, my, my parenting fail is that I'm mostly known for saying fuck to children. <laughs> you know, like in many people's eyes, that's a giant fail. There's a lot of, to this day, Go the Fuck to Sleep came out in 2011, but I still get emails from people who don't fully understand what is going on here and, and, and write me emails and say things like, you know, this is an outrage. I would never read this book to a child. You know, like, I still wonder about the mix of literacy and illiteracy that it would take to mistakenly read this book to a child. You know, like it says fuck on the cover. Um, so that may be a fail. And related to that fail are the numerous fails that come with being like misidentified as a parenting expert, which is still something that happens to me. And it's probably going to happen later in this podcast. So we'll wait for those fails. Um, the success that I was prepared to talk about 
and I'm very proud of this, is the fact that uh, my oldest daughter, Vivian, was probably at least six years old before she realized that Mickey Mouse was anything other than an insult. Um, because she did not know that Mickey Mouse was a Disney character. She just knew that Mickey Mouse was a term that reggae artists applied to other reggae artists' sound systems, right? Like, that was the only way she knew Mickey Mouse, as in, it was like, all other sounds, them are Mickey Mouse. You know, that was all she knew of Mickey Mouse. Is like, if your shit was whack and, you know, you had a tin pan sound, you were Mickey Mouse. So, like, I, I feel very proud of that. It's a good, very good triumph. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, all right. Let's, um, let's talk a little business before we move on to conversations with Pamela and Adam. This is my favorite part of a live show because you guys can't fast forward past this stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all our parenting content, including episodes of Mom and Dad are Fighting, plus Care and Feeding, our parenting advice column. It's also a personal email for me every week. Sign up slate.com slash parenting email. In Slate Plus today, we're going to have a little extra from our conversations with Adam and Pamela. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. It used to be that you would have eight kids because five of them were going to die before they reached adulthood. You know, that used to be like a standard thing. Now most of our kids live to adulthood. That's, that's a low bar. To hear segments like that and get ad-free podcasts, <laughs> sign up for Slate Plus. It's our membership program, a great way to support all that Slate does. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite lesser Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this and other lesser shows and a ton of other great benefits. So support us. Go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. And finally, check out our Facebook presence. Search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a very fun community. We moderate it and ban people willy-nilly so it doesn't get out of control. And I want to shout out the Slate Parenting Facebook page because they were the source of the questions that we're going to be asking Pamela and Adam today. I posted earlier this week saying we're going to be talking to these two here in Miami. We want to know what you want to hear. We got dozens of great ideas. I snagged just a few of the best ones for this conversation. So let's start with Pamela. Um, so Pamela, I want to make sure people here in Miami and our listeners know exactly what this new book is. So give us the quick elevator pitch. Uh, it's called How to Raise a Reader. It's co-written with Maria Russo. It delivers exactly what the title promises. Go. So How to Raise a Reader is a book that's geared to parents and grandparents and caregivers of anyone from an expecting parent all the way up to a parent of a teenager because it's never too early and it's never too late to raise a reader. I would say if there are any driving forces behind this book or arguments, it's that school is where you learn how to read. Home is where you learn to love to read. And we all know that reading is important for a child's academic success, for executive function, for social and emotional development. Marie and I also strongly believe it just makes you a better person. Um, but reading is also incredibly fun. Um, and there is a lot of room for fun, um, but also a lot of competing factors that are fun, um, especially when you look at what's out there in terms of you know, streaming, 
the internet is always uh, the big elephant in the room. Um, and yes, podcasts, kids listening to podcasts. There are oh. many podcasts for kids. Um, movies, extracurricular activities, homework, all the other things that kids have to or might want to do. How do you squeeze books in? Um, so this book hopefully offers parents lots of practical ways in which to do this, advice, and then lots and lots of recommended books because um, while the classics are always great, there are so many worthwhile, excellent new books out there that people don't necessarily know about, and Marie and I like nothing more than recommending good kids' books. All right, Jamila has a question from our Facebook fans. Go. I do, but really quickly, I have another fail, um, <laughs> especially since we're talking to our Facebook fans, because I know some of you all uh, who are regular listeners to the podcast have heard me uh, threatening to take Dan to the club while we were in Miami mm -hmm. for the past few months, and I have failed to identify a club that would be suitable <laughs> for us to both go to um, and enjoy ourselves. And really? There, have, no such club exists? Well, I may have also not looked up clubs. <laughs> And may also be in a little bit of denial about my relationship to the club at this point in my life. <laughs> I'm more of a lounges and dive bars kind of mother. <laughs> um, but there's an after party for all this stuff. So we'll be there. And I'm hoping that I can deliver on the photos that our Facebook friends have asked for of Dan turning up. Um, mm. So... I hope you packed your club clothes, which you said you Googled. I'm, I'm wearing them. Okay. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. <laughs> That'll work. Okay. Um, from the Facebook group, we have, what happens when your kid constantly gets in trouble at school for reading when they're supposed to be doing other things, such as, say, math? And I can most certainly relate to this question um, because I dedicated uh, one class in particular, my junior year of high school, to reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. And unfortunately, I was not graded on the autobiography of Malcolm X. I was graded on the assignments that I wasn't doing while I was reading. So it felt like a triumph for me, but ultimately it was a fail. What should I do as a parent when my child uh, pays me back, as she has in so many ways uh, thus far? Well, I'm going to try not to get my personal opinion of math in school in the way here, um, because it's obviously a lesser um, activity than reading. Um, <laughs> obviously. Beyond, beyond that, you know, I honestly think that um, you don't want to stop a child from reading. Uh, you just don't want to do it. And that reading ultimately is going to contribute not just to the child's academic success, but again, to their development overall as a human being. If your child is reading too much or reading at inappropriate moments, I kind of think that's think that's your the least of your problems as a parent. Um, so I I would not worry too much. I mean, if the teacher is getting upset about it, that's one thing. But as a parent, I'd kind of be like, you go. But what do you do when the teacher sends you an email that's like, uh, Franny was not paying attention in yeah. reading today because she was reading her own book. Well, I'd probably have a conversation with that teacher. Um, to, <laughs> I'm going to give, I mean, it would really depend on the child and depend on the teacher. Um, if it was a really good teacher and, um, and it was something about your kid in particular, hopefully they would be attentive to that. But then the other thing I would look at is, as a parent, make sure that there are lots of opportunities for your child to read at home. I mean, kids are so overscheduled these days. They often have you know, a ton of homework or other obligations. And I would just make sure that you're carving out lots of time for the child to read at home. 
All right, I'm going to zoom ahead to the first question for Adam because I want to make sure we have time uh, to talk about uh, your work as well. Um, so let's get the elevator pitch for your book, Adam. It's illustrated by Owen Brosman. It's called Fuck Now There Are Two of You, and it also really delivers on the promise of the title. Go. You pretty much gave the elevator pitch. The book is called Fuck Now There Are Two of You. Anybody who's had more than one kid <laughs> has at some point had to have a conversation with the older kid about the imminent arrival of the next kid and how that will change the family. And this is, uh, much as Go the Fuck to Sleep was kind of the honest internal monologue of a parent trying to put a child to sleep, this is kind of the honest version of that conversation. Nailed it. Great job. Yeah. We're on the second floor now. Yeah, That's the elevator's it. made it yeah. to the second floor and we're good. Uh, all right, Jamila, we have a question from our Facebook pals. Our two boys are five and a half years apart, which has been great in so many ways, but because of their age difference and the subsequent difference in their schedules, most of the time it feels like we're doing nothing but dividing and conquering. How can we do more together as a family? Do we just throw the youngest bed nap time schedule out the window? Will things get better or are we doomed to live parallel lives until the oldest is out of the house? Well, the first thing that strikes me is the sentence construction. I don't think you should throw a bed out a window. That seems like a bad idea. Um, I would also say that if your kids are five and a half years apart, at least one of those kids presumably is not wearing diapers anymore, and that in itself is an important win. So take a moment to appreciate the fact that at least one of your kids is pooping in a toilet. That's good for you as a parent. I would say that, you know, I mean, my kids are spread further apart than that. I have an 11-year-old and then a 3-year-old and a 1-year-old. And I think what you have to do is... Um, at times, you have, to, you have to age things up for the younger kid and let them kind of play a little bit out of their depth. And sometimes you have to age things a little bit down for the older kid and remind them of the sort of simpler joys of the things they used to enjoy. Um, you know, so for me, we do a lot of family dance parties, um, which is something everybody can enjoy, but I'll let my 11-year-old program the music. So she gets to introduce us to whatever garbage she likes. <laughs> And everybody dances and everybody feels good. Um, but we'll also read books that are much more appropriate to a three-year-old. I'll let the 11-year-old read those books. It takes her back to a time when she loved those books. It allows her to introduce those books to her siblings. So we kind of do a lot of splitting the difference. Um, but I also think, you know, no matter what the spread is, it's also important to take some time alone with each of your children and allow them to sort of experience you one-on-one. -on -one. So... You can call it divide and conquer. The nap schedule might be an impediment or it might be the thing that allows you to actually take some time and, and connect individually with each of your kids, which I think is important also. Pamela, what are some things that you guys and your large family have found to do all together, even across that age gap? Well, the age gap is quite close in the in the case of, of my kids. Um, I remember when I was preg got pregnant with my second child, I thought, oh, good. Um, they're going to be two years apart, 20 months. And then, you know, I was so tired. I hadn't done the math correctly. Um, and when uh, my second child was born uh, 19 months later, I realized, oh, it's actually one and a half years. Um, <laughs> so, um, so they were quite close together in age. And I love Adam's suggestion, which is one that we did too, of the older kids reading to the younger kids, which I think really um, sort of imbues that older child with a sense of power. Um, and the nice thing about when you have a third child is 
Um, I, I don't know why this is, but most people I know with three kids, the third child is super easy. It's like they know <laughs> that they're entering a Yo, that's fraught hilarious. situation. That's, that's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Not you. Not nah. you. You're an outlier. <laughs> well, that'll be your next book. Um, yeah. But with us, it was almost like the third one implicitly understood that, that there was just too much going on already. And so I remember when we would read to, with the older two, the third one, he would just kind of play in the corner with a shape sorter um, by himself. Like mm. he understood that, that, that he was kind of in a holding pattern huh. during that period. Interesting. Yeah, no, my youngest has not gotten the message that we don't have enough energy or time for her. Have you gotten the minivan yet? Nah, nah, I refuse to get the minivan. We're all <laughs> squeezing into like a, like a five-seater sedan. And we will continue to do so until my oldest leaves the house, and then I'm going to buy a two-seater. <laughs> uh, the one other thing I would respond to this, like the very practical question that this uh, listener asked was, do we uh, throw nap time out the window? And I kind of think the answer is yes. yes. Like I often found that with the second kid, yeah, you just like you don't worry about naps as much. You don't put them on as insane a schedule as you did with your first kid because it's very inconvenient, like a pain in your ass. Y'all are out of your minds. I need that kid to sleep. I need all <laughs> I know, these I kids to sleep as much differ. as possible. Yeah, really? I'm not throwing naps out the window. I don't get rid of anything. any naps until those naps are going away. <laughs> I'm, yeah. If anything, I consider making my 11 year old start taking <laughs> naps again so that I can have a guaranteed two hours when everybody is sleeping and I can attempt to get some fucking work done. I gave up on nap time very early, like, and I only had one child, you know, like, it, we just didn't, she wasn't in, on the weekends, like, when she was in day, like, at the point where she was on, in daycare, they put her down for nap time, sometimes she sleeps, sometimes she wouldn't, but she typically got some rest, and they said she was usually pretty quiet, but on the weekends, I don't know, like, it blew my mind that people, I guess, like, oh, I guess this is what being a parent is really about, like, you plan one Saturday, and then the next Saturday, seven days later, somehow has to be nearly identical. But this is a different week. It could be a different month. You know, it could be a different season in the seven days. And so because you went to sleep at 2 o'clock on November 7th, I should rightly expect that on November 14th, you're not even the same person. I'm not the same person. <laughs> and nap time just didn't really happen too much. You know, the nice thing about having kids that are as old as 10, almost 13 and 14, is that now it's reversed. And I get nap time. Yeah, I'm old enough that I have my nap yeah. on the weekends. That has also happened to me. I now have, there's just like a standing ritual that at like maybe 5.15, dad just goes and lays down for a little That's while. That's nice. Yeah. What I do is I, I leave town and I go to book festivals. Right, <laughs> right. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Um, all right. Thank you both for chatting with us. We've got one last thing to do uh, this episode, which is recommendations. Each week, we recommend one thing to our listeners, uh, something for kids, something for parents, something for anyone. Uh, but let's start with Jamila. What do you recommend today? 
Okay, so uh, as this is the episode that our listeners will be enjoying over Thanksgiving, um, I would like to recommend having an alternative Thanksgiving celebration. Um, If you are right now knee deep in dishes or household guests that you'd rather not have or surrounded by foods that you'd really rather not be eating right now because you know you would love to be eating them right now and you shouldn't, Next year, say fuck it, find a cool restaurant, make a reservation, take your immediate family. If you are a split custody parent like I am and it's not your year, go do it by yourself or just take your kid and just go and eat and don't have to deal with all the stuff that comes with Thanksgiving. I'm personally, I'm not a holiday person. Last year, so my mother's birthday is November 22nd, so it oftentimes falls very close to Thanksgiving. We went to Chicago, uh, had a little mini staycation, went to a nice hotel for a couple of nights, just her and my daughter and I, got to visit my father, other family members while we were in town. It was great. We had Thanksgiving dinner at an Italian restaurant. It was one of the best Thanksgiving meals I'd ever had. I forgot the name of the restaurant. I'm so sorry, but it was very great. And and, and it was just so nice not to have to deal with all of the Thanksgiving stuff. And so this year, um, I'm returning to Chicago for the holiday. My little one's dad and his son, they're also returning to Chicago for the holiday. And so I was totally excited to do the same thing got a hotel booked for a couple of nights we'll do staycation we can go out to dinner again i was like you know i should invite my my ex and and you know his his mom and and his son they can come have dinner with us before i could shoot out that invite his mother invited me to thanksgiving dinner at her house which is congratulations much fun and it's gonna be great because (laughs) i didn't get to do that last year and um you know, I, I think it's going to be lovely, but uh, next year I think I'm going to go back to doing things the way I like to do them at a restaurant. And I encourage other parents to break free of the expectation that you have to work your fingers to the behind behind some fucking candied yams and macaroni <laughs> and cheese. Like you don't have to do it if you don't want to. And I hear people complaining about it every single year. It's like, you know, we don't have to do this, right? It's not a law. It's not a rule. So I recommend saying fuck you to Thanksgiving. Adam. Wow. I, I'm, first of all, let me, let me co-sign Jamila's recommendation. Um, and, and also add that if you are going to do Thanksgiving, I would recommend inviting your friends and people you actually want to spend Thanksgiving with, not family members that you disagree with about everything and like actually can't stand to share a meal with. Um, That seems like a a vast improvement to me. I've done friend Thanksgivings the past, I don't know, decade, and it's definitely improved my life immeasurably. Um, I would like to recommend uh, that you consider buying uh, my friend and co-author Alan Zwei Bell's book, uh, Laugh Lines, 40 Years of Making Funny People Funnier, because Alan is sitting in the front row, and he looks very sad. And I think that uh, if if you bought his book, it would make him happy and it'll make you happy because it's a, it's a very funny book and it comes out next April. You should put it, and I think I'm, Alan, am I, am I in the book? Am I somewhere in the book? Great, great, great. I'm in the book four times. Um, so, you know, you can look for my name, you can look for the names of Alan's other famous friends like Billy Crystal or Martin Short. They're in the book. And, uh, you know, Alan, um, frankly, could, could use a boost and could use the money and, um, you know, do, do a good deed. You know, help, help Alan out. 
he's uh, a he's a comedy writer and uh you know he he's he's a nice guy and he he could he could use it you know Pamela do you have any poor helpless friends who need your help um, well, no one needs my help with TV because um, I don't I don't have TV and I don't have streaming. So the only time I really get to watch is on the plane. And by the time I see things, they've been out for years. And so I'm tempted to recommend Fleabag, which I watched on the way down here, except that everybody's already seen it. And I'll stay on brand then and, and recommend um, books. Um, there is an author of graphic novels that I, um, I encountered her work first on Instagram. Her name is Lucy Nisley. She actually has, I would say, the, the G-rated version of your new book, um, her first picture book out now. It's called You Are New, um, and mm. it's written to... Um, Sounds dumb. <laughs> and, uh, it's lovely. It's lovely. And she also writes graphic memoirs, and um, she wrote, she's written at least three, um, one called Kid Gloves, which is about um, conceiving and labor and, and infertility and uh, difficulties around childbirth that I highly recommend. It came out earlier this year. And another one called Something New about relationships and marriage. And, and then a third one called Relish about cooking and growing up in a kind of foodie family. All three of these subjects are ones that I'm mildly allergic to. I mentioned that I don't like cooking for my kids, so I didn't really have a desire to read a book about cooking in a family. Um, I have been married uh, for a long time and was married before that and wrote a book about marriage, so that does not interest me in the least. And as I've said, um, I had my three kids a while ago now, and yet what Lucy Nisley does is make even a topic that you think you have zero interest in incredibly funny and human and wonderful. She's a really talented graphic novelist. Uh, those books are great. It's K-N-I-S-L-E-Y, Lucy Nisley. Um, we're running out of time, so I'm going to do mine fast. Uh, for those who celebrate Christmas, I am recommending gamifying your stockings. Uh, everyone knows that stockings are the dumbest part of Christmas. Uh, it's like Christmas is already an insane greed fest where your kids like tear open presents in a consumerist fever. Uh, and then you add this thing at the beginning of it where you stuff as much shit as you can in a sock. Uh, but... In our family for the past few years, we have been making the stockings a game. For a while, we did the Secret Santa thing where you would draw someone's name and then you're responsible only for filling their stocking. No one else's. And then after everyone opens their stuff, they guess who was their Secret Santa. This year, we're trying something a little different. Every single person, including all the kids in the extended family, buys one stocking stuffer type gift for each other person. And then on Christmas morning, as you take things out of your stocking, you have to guess. I think this is from Maggie. I think this is from Harper, etc. And then we'll see how you do. It's been nice so far because it gets people to really think about what they put in the stocking. So it's not just a bunch of shit you got at Spencer Gifts. And it gets the kids involved in that decision making. And it makes the actual opening process about the givers as much as it is about the receivers, which I really like. So, I mean, ban stockings generally, but if you have to do stockings, try it this way. And that's our show. Thanks a million to Pamela Paul and Adam Mansbach. Give them a hand. Woo! Their books are great. You can buy them right outside. They will sign them for you. If you have any questions for us, just like waylay us and ask us those questions. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on air, leave us a message to 424-255-7833 or email us at slate.com. Join us on Facebook to search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. Audio recording here in Miami by Chris DeAngelis. For Jamila Lemieux, I'm Dan Coyce. Talk to you next week. Thanks so much, everyone. for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.